And when I say Australian food, um, I'm wondering what comes to your mind. Have Have you, like me, uh, retreated immediately into sort of cheesy, cheesy nostalgia? Uh, Vegemite, a pie in the back of a Holden, or a a beachside chico roll. Uh, I suspect, though, this is this is a more complex thing. If we leave all those kitsch atrocities to one side, Australian food is is a fairly complicated proposition. And it's a, a thought that opens up questions around national identity, around national mythology, the, the diversity of this place, our, our cultural anxieties. Uh, who, who better to help us navigate uh, these conundra, these contradictions, these ever-shifting meanings at the heart of this idea, Australian food, uh, than Basha Riddell, Chief Restaurant Critic for The Age, who has recently written on this very subject. Basha, welcome. Thank you. Straight in food. Where where <laughs> to begin, which I suppose is the problem. Yeah, it's funny. When I was working in LA, I got a um, a message from another food writer who claimed that there was no such thing as Australian food. I had written a review of Outback Steakhouse, which is the representation that I think a lot of <laughs> Americans think of when they think of Australian food, which is funny because it is wholly American. And that was my <laughs> point was that... <laughs> You know, it's it, it. Some of the food at Outback Steakhouse is pretty good. Like a bloomin' onion is delicious, but um, it is so American and, in fact, born out of kind of the grand tradition of American fair food. But this other writer said, you know, I don't think that there is any such thing as Australian food, which was the first thing that really got me thinking about um, what what the meaning of it is and why when American food is so well-defined and has a fairly similar, albeit longer, history than Australia um, in terms of immigration and and the types of food that um, became popular there, mm. why, why are they so well-defined and we um, are not? And that's kind of where I started thinking about it from. So we have two colonial cultures. Uh, yeah. And, and, and I, I guess the interesting thing to note there is that with, with American, with the American idea of American food, it doesn't dwell on its indigenous culture. Would that therefore exclude that as a possibility in defining the Australian, Australian food? I don't think so. I mean, honestly, indigenous food in America was very quickly uh, accepted and and utilized by its waves of immigrants. Uh, I kind of joke about it. You know, our newfound um, interest in indigenous food is almost as if all of a sudden in America they said, oh, look, tomatoes, corn, amazing. You know, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> um, those things were of the new world and didn't exist in old world food until um, the Americas were colonized. I think that there is a new interest both in South America and Central America and and then also in North America for pre-Columbian food. And I think, you know, that is a little bit similar to what we're seeing here, but the ingredients themselves have so long been a part of American food. I think the thing that's kind of interesting to me is how readily America has co-opted and and celebrated food that is immigrant food and how we mm. almost dismiss it as immigrant food, not not to say that we don't love it, but we don't embrace it as Australian. So, you know, pizza is obviously Italian, hot dogs, hamburgers uh, come from kind of the Germanic side of their immigration story. But, you know, 
you wouldn't see a New Yorker ever not claim the cheese slice as New York food. And we've spoken about the Capriccioso pizza before, which is an Italian invention. But, you know, if you ask me, was is has been perfected and changed and is, you know, should be representative of Italian Australian. But we just don't own those things in the same way. Um, we don't celebrate them in the same way. We almost there's a bit of cultural cringe there where we want to be mm. more Italian and less Australian, you know? So <laughs> I think that that's something to look at. Is, is that of a piece, though, with the migrant communities that came here? I mean, let's take that Italian community, for example, um, that that coming here, I mean, very much, um, at least in its first one or two generations, was, was anxious to preserve its traditions. Um, Absolutely. Whereas I'm not sure for, that for, people, for Italians in New York, I think it's a different proposition. It might be. I'm not sure. I think there's a huge amount of pride in, in the Italian existence and Italian communities in America. Um, and I, But I'm not sure. Yeah, there might be some kind of thing where there was more of a strive to assimilate and become American. Mm. Certainly, I think that that's true for the divide between um, American Chinese food, which is absolutely its own very proud genre. Although I will say that up until about 20 years ago, there was still a kind of cringe there about not being authentic or whatever amongst snobby foodies, not amongst anybody else really. But American Chinese immigrants who uh, a lot of them originally came to work on the railroads in America, you know, there was there was a real um, concerted effort for them to take Chinese food and make it palatable to their the people who are working alongside them on the railroads, honestly. And um, and that's where kind of the tradition of American Chinese food came from. I think that there is a similar thing in Australia. It's just not been so pointed where, you know, Chinese immigrants here, mm. there, there's a lot of preservation of their culture. But there's 10, you know, 10 generations deep in, in many parts of Australia and things like the dim sim <laughs> or, you know, uh, even a chico roll in some ways comes from that same kind of thing of let's take our tradition and then make it palatable for an Anglo, you know, audience as well. To the point um, where, where every country town in Australia has has a Chinese restaurant, which is, you know, goes back at least sort of half a century. And uh, is often the best restaurant in town. Indeed. <laughs> uh, the, the really interesting example you give in, in the piece that you wrote on this, and I think it's emblematic of, of your argument um, is the halal snack pack yes uh, here is a, this is, this this is us this, this is this country and yet it's it's in some way othered yeah absolutely I I was I didn't I had never had one before um, I moved back here in 2017 and I became immediately enamored because who wouldn't um, it's just a big smush of deliciousness um, and you know there is there's a whole kind of online community around the halal snack pack, but I don't see people outside of this kind of small group of obsessives really embracing and um, promoting this as this wonder of Australian culture, which it is. And it, and it, you know, I also, I love how much it kind of 
brings us all together in some ways. I mean, mm. obviously the souvlaki is one thing. It was kind of the step before that in some ways, I think, the kebab of kind of late night drunk food. But um, <laughs> but the halal snack pack takes it to a whole new level. Yeah. And, Just um, don't try and them it while is driving. uniquely... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it is uniquely Australian, whereas you find a souvlaki everywhere in the world, probably. So, But if someone was to say to almost any Australian food writer or any Australian abroad, what's Australian food? I don't think that halal snack pack would come first to mind. And I wonder about that. I wonder why that is. Is it because, and, and the contrast with America here is, is, is a, a good one, I think, is that we are constantly caught in trying to be something other than what we are in this country. Absolutely. I, absolutely. And I see that from the halal snack pack all the way up to the, you know, fanciest restaurants right now. Um, both Sydney and Melbourne are kind of experiencing this boom in uh, both the steakhouse and um, French food. And mm. um, on the steakhouse front, and on the French food front, we are trying to be New York. We are <laughs> opening New York-style steakhouse places and American-style brasseries. They're not even really French-style brasseries. They're kind of taken from the Balthazar in New York playbook. And, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm working on um, an idea. I tried to get it into a review of a recent place that was French that opened in Melbourne, um, but it was just too thinky to kind of <laughs> shove into a review like that about the fact that, you know, Melbourne was built on gold rush money. And in that era, Melbourne drank more champagne actually from <laughs> champagne than anywhere else in the world. And we had very fancy French restaurants and our governors through very fancy French balls and dinners and banquets. We we imported French chefs. Um, there were French restaurants on Burke Street in the 1800s. And nobody has looked to that history to draw upon. You know, we were serving Murray Cod in a French sauce in 1890. So why are we looking to New York rather than to our own history to kind of, you know, inspire us in these beautiful historic buildings that we're now opening restaurants in that were built by that same money, you know, that would be such a beautiful kind of coming round again to our own history and to living in our own skin rather than trying to be London, trying to be New York, which I think, you know, we've been trying for a long time. And why, why would anybody come all the way to Australia just to experience a New York restaurant? Doesn't make any sense to well, me. And, and perhaps so the answer in that is, is, it's related to the the thing which has killed all the Marie Cod. We sort of have this this ongoing relationship of complete disrespect for ourselves and and this place. I mean, and, and yet we're starting um, Davidson Plum by Davidson Plum to pick our way through some of what this country offers and intermingle that with other culinary tradition. I mean, perhaps that's a way forward. I think it is a way forward. And and again, you see that starting um, both with a kind of respect for indigenous ingredients, but then even kind of on this middle ground, um, I'm seeing in Melbourne now a couple of Italian restaurants opening that, and they are kind of in the middle. They're not super high end. They're not, you know, just on the low street food end either, but in that middle end that are celebrating 
Australian Italian heritage in some ways. There's a place called Electric Madonna that's open in Brunswick that is very kitschy, but kind of celebrating that 80s Italian, you know, northern suburbs aesthetic and and the food that that has that was born out of that era. I reviewed Johnny Vincent Sam's, which is uh, from the Sushi Mango guys, um, the comedy troupe. And I have issues with that restaurant. But the one thing that I love about it is that they've built it to look like an Italian or Greek nana's house <laughs> in like 1979 in Melbourne. And it is down to the the most amazing details like the in the in the bathrooms the the faucets are that brown plastic molded plastic you know like it's it's amazing everything about it is just so spot on and you could not be anywhere but but right you know there. australia and that i love i love that so i do hope to see that continue all the way again all the way through our our food ways from street food on up to the fancy things where we're saying this is who we are and there's nothing wrong with that. And in fact, it is unique in the world and let's, let's lean into it rather than pretend to be somebody that we're not. Is that a thing which takes some time to discover? I wonder, I mean, this, this is a, a colonial culture, you know, barely more than two centuries old. Um, Absolutely. I mean, I think about my own Nana who was one of these, um, born and bred in Australia, but had very British pretensions about her, tried to mm. speak with British accent, you know, tried to dress like the Queen <laughs> and <laughs> um, and lied to her children about like where their, you know, middle name came from because, because she wanted them to believe that they were, you know, raised by Dukes and not that it was the place in New South Wales that she went for a honeymoon. Like <laughs> they, they, you know, that idea of we're trying to be like England basically. And even, you know, the, the wrought iron that is all over Melbourne that isn't really anywhere else in the world. It was a fantasy of what they thought London looked like more than it was, let's be Melbourne, you know? And so I think that that's a long time coming out of because we were just so disdained by, as the colonies for so long, by our overlords, <laughs> that it, it, it's, it takes a long time to kind of come out of that and and regain your identity and then also to recognize that your identity is is multicultural and not monolithic and that that's something to celebrate and embrace and that it makes us different maybe the thing uh, besher i mean and, and this is where you know food is is inextricably intertwined with with the political that we still have a culture here trying to settle on that sense of itself in all sorts of ways yeah what is our history? Um, what is our history, and who do we want to be going forward? And yeah. how much do we, how much do we, you know, want to retain the the ties to colonialism? And and you know, I think that's a hard thing for a lot of people to let go of. It 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 you know there was there's vestiges of pride in that. So it it takes it's it's a painful thing in some ways to for any kind of kid to break off from their family and say, I'm going to be my own person. But may maybe, this, you know, the, the actualities of something as 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 practical as making food um, can, can sort of bust us out of that funk. I mean, you, you write in your piece, the instances in which I encounter menus that would not exist anywhere in the world are far more common now than they were five or ten years ago. So perhaps there's, there's that sense that food culture can boldly go <laughs> where the, the bulk of the culture sort of hesitates to step. 
I mean, I think that that's the, that is in some ways the fantasy and it has some downfalls, um, but it is also the lovely thing about being ensconced in food culture. You want to believe that um, the table is a place to start these um, conversations around identity because it's so tactile, because it's delicious, because it's not um, as divisive as uh, as politics, you can say, look at this, isn't it, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it delicious? And that can stop people thinking about the way that they change. I think there's, you know, limitations to that, obviously. But I, I do think that food has always been a thing that introduces people to new cultures, brings people together. And I think it's a place very much so where we can start to forge new identities for ourselves. I'm wondering if, if you were having a conversation uh, with someone from elsewhere, let, let's say you're in New York and someone asks you, what is Australian food better? You, you, you would say what? I mean, that's what? the problem, isn't it? <laughs> that's the problem. I would say, especially if I was in America, I would say, well, what is American food? And see what they say to me. And I'd say, well, Australian food is very similar. It is the food of its immigrants seen through the lens of the land that it is being served on, basically. I mean. And it has changed and it continues to evolve, but it is it is the collective food of the people there mm. through the years that they've lived there. And um, there are all kinds of individual things that you could say. I mean, American food isn't the hot dog any more than it is Kung Pao chicken. It's all of those things, you know. But Ameri um, Americans, Americans though, and, and you make this point in your piece, Americans are very, very happy and proud to, to, to claim the hot dog. Um, Absolutely. To, but by contrast, we would be somewhat sheepish about a pie. I think so, which I don't really understand because a pie is delicious <laughs> and we should be proud of it. And we should also lean into the things that, I mean, I think traditionally the lamington, fairy bread, things that, you know, uh, are, again, the lamington is what it is because of kind of the long distances that people traveled in Australia, mm. um, the lack of refrigeration, it, you know, it was a cake that you had to coat on all sides. There, there, you know, there is fascinating heft. history. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So don't don't be ashamed of the Lamington. You know, uh, let's let's celebrate the things that we are that are unique that we're known for. But also, you know, don't. Don't shy away from the fact that um, the banh mi is as much of a, a, a you know sandwich of Australia as it is Vietnam almost now. I mean, you can everybody in Melbourne eats a banh mi for lunch. It's it's so ubiquitous, and so you know it's it's all of those things. I think that that's the difficulty that Australia has is that there's not an elevator pitch for Australian food. But mm. um, would you mm. really want that? That would again suggest some kind of monolithic culture that. Um, I don't want to live in. So so I think it's a hard one to just wrap up in one small sentence. But um, I think the easiest thing to say really is it's the food of the people who were here before us and the food of the people who have come since, you know, through the centuries. And that's a maybe a wishy-washy thing some people would think, but it's not. It's the reality of it. And it's complicated and we're a complicated culture and that's okay. And maybe that is the, the gift of... of you know, a post-colonial culture, uh, that it becomes so many things. The gift of that post-colonial immigrant culture is that it is not a, a, a monolithic French cuisine culture. We're not in Naples, you know, burdened by centuries of tradition of how and what you eat. We, we have Absolutely. an open slate. 
And I think that I saw that when I moved from the East Coast of America to the West Coast, um, you know, the East Coast is much more tied to Europe because of proximity and because of the, the way that immigration worked in America. The West Coast is less tied and therefore much more free to experiment, be what it wants to be as a culture. I mean, that's always been that kind of manifest destiny of California. And then coming to back to Australia, I saw that even more. I mean, that is one of the wonderful things about living here is that we aren't tied to all of those centuries of culture. We can take what we want from from that and then turn it into whatever we want it to be and play with it and be more playful and not have as much of a kind of people looking over our shoulder saying, well, that's not correct. And one of my favorite restaurants of Australia of all time was uh, Momofuku Siobo, which is a Caribbean restaurant by an American in a casino. But I (laughs) spoke to the chef there Paul Carmichael, who is from Barbados, a lot about the fact that it would have been very difficult for him to open that restaurant in America because the Caribbean diaspora there is so, (laughs) you know, stern in some Mm. ways about doing things the way that you're supposed to do them. And it would be hard for him to experiment. Whereas in Australia, we were just so overjoyed to have this amazing food that he was creating, which was based very much in the kind of authentic culture of the Caribbean, but through with Australian ingredients and with his own kind of genius spin on it. So I think, you know, there's definitely a huge amount of freedom that we get from being so far from the places that tell you what things have to be, you know. The other side of that, and and you write this in your piece to quote you, we, we have suppressed our own personality in order to pantomime the nostalgia of other places. Yeah. <laughs> Just to level your enthusiasm for our readiness. Yeah, to no, explore. I know. I mean, and that's. I, I would like to break out of that, and um, and we are very much still in that place. Like mm. I said, we're very much still opening New York style pizza restaurants, New York style Italian restaurants. I just reviewed the new restaurant in the SB. It's called Louis, and it's almost like a Disney version of a New York American place and it has a cocktail named after Yonkers, New York of all things with passion fruit in it. It's amazing. I've just like I mean Yonkers is like the most (laughs) the most industrial (laughs) passion fruit place in the world. You know, and it's kind of fun. It's got this like ridiculously cheesy, you know, literally food there. But I'm just like, why are we trying to yeah, pantomime this nostalgia for New York when we have all of our own things to celebrate. So I, uh, it's not over. I mean, we're not there yet. Um, and I, I foresee we'll have a lot of, a lot of food that is, that is going to continue to do that for a long time. But as long as there are some people who are kind of exploring what it means to be specifically Australian, I think the better, and it's going to be better for our tourism to be frank, because, that person who wrote to me all those years ago had been to Australia twice and struggled to understand what was here and therefore why you would come all the way here to eat. And we are trying to export ourselves as a culinary destination. And it's not going to work just by saying we have great restaurants. Everywhere has great restaurants. You need to experience something unique that you could only get here. A little snack pack. Get around it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> the Australian Tourism Board. Yes. Get on it. I, I, I can see <laughs> the <campaign>. ad. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Besha, thank you so very much. Thank you. 
Besha Riddell, uh, Chief Restaurant Critic for The Age. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.